You are now listening to the Motivational Mentors Podcast with your hosts, Luke Burrows. Touch on morning routines. I think people have to find something that works for them. And Arsenio Buck. Hey, Arsenio, let's go party. Hey, party. If someone asked me to party right now, Luke, come on. What the hell's a party? A party? A party for what? Guys, welcome back to Motivational Mentors. Man, I am your crazy-ass latte host, Arsenio, along with my uh, British friend by the name of Luke Burroughs. And today, we have someone right out of Massachusetts with us today. You know what? Bria, who's also another fellow podcaster just like us and does a variety of different things, I am very, very excited to have you on today. So how are you doing this morning out there in good old U.S. of A. I'm doing great. Just woke up. Still bright and sunny here. Sun rising. Awesome to bring you on the show. I know we've been chatting over on uh, Instagram and that. Um, but um, for those who don't know who you are, could you introduce yourself? So, um, so, so like I said, you said, you know, you're working on a lot of different things. Um, and I think, yeah, we're firing some questions at you about some of the things that you're working on. I know, I know there's um, a lot. So, I'll pass it over to you. So I'm Bria Robillard. I'm from Leominster, Massachusetts, which is about 40 minutes outside of Boston. And basically, I went to college for the sciences. During college, I was basically in an abusive relationship. So I started a nonprofit. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to be, what it, what I wanted it to be about, I basically got super into entrepreneurship because I was doing it to start something. So I thought, why don't I start an organization teaching teenage girls how to start their own online businesses if I was creating essentially an online business and organization at the time. So I'm basically in the midst of starting that right now. It's gotten um, traction from U.S. senators and state representatives, and I've gotten letters from Congress supporting it, which is wonderful, but it's definitely in the growing stages because I was working on it during college. Um, I also do digital marketing for small businesses. I do podcasting. Um, I have a book coming out and I'm doing a TED talk next week, which by the time this comes out, it will be like a month ago. So that's kind of what I do. <laughs> wow. So I mean, oh, geez, you know what? We've been through so many trials, so many tribulations in our life. You know, I just did a fiery podcast this morning talking about all the things I've seen, like the dead baby and, you know, having a bandmate get crushed by, you know, a uh, 18 wheelie truck trying to save his sister and you know my mother and father big fallout you know my mom going to jail for 30 days so many different things I've seen with my own eyes that I've experienced but now if I look at the other end of the spectrum and what I'm doing today I'm transforming lives so um I really hate to even touch up on this but again going from you know you said having an abusive relationship yep. but now at everything that is happening around yeah you. yeah mm-hmm. so yeah so um when I was in that state of mind I was definitely depressed I was never like that was my first relationship I'll be honest um it was right outside of like high school so I was about 18 and basically I didn't even know I was in an abusive relationship until it was too late and I think a lot of people are in that situation because it feels like such an outer body experience and for a long time I had such a negative mindset I was beating myself up I thought like the world had just gone to hell and I was just miserable with everything in my life and then I eventually found like motivational speeches on YouTube and that was right when entrepreneurship started being popular on YouTube not 
really, really popular, but it was definitely down that rabbit hole. And I got into that rabbit hole because I was trying to listen to motivational speeches to make myself feel better. And then that's kind of when I started all this. So unfortunately, like the good part about experiencing that situation is it basically gave me a career in something I love to do and completely transformed my life. Were there any limiting beliefs that you had to overcome? And can you talk us through the process on how you started to, to overcome them? So I think it's still an everyday thing. I think no one will ever overcome everything. I think it's just one battle uh, a time and one limiting belief at a time. Um, when I first started, I didn't I was not a techie person. Like I didn't post on Instagram for probably two years. I think I had a solid three posts and it was a private account. I had like a hundred followers and that was my Instagram for like four or five years. So when I started doing this, I was kind of freaking out that I wasn't posting enough or my captions were bad or my photos were horrible, which they were because I didn't have a good camera, but I was just posting for the heck of posting, um, which I highly recommend. I think everyone should just continue doing no matter the quality equipment you have because um, you will get traction just by doing that but um, just not having the right equipment not knowing enough about my fields being too young being still in college not finishing well I did finish my degree but not um, finishing it at that time because I was in the middle of college and things like that. I'm gonna take you um I'm gonna take something that you said and I'm going to share a little bit of a message. You know, I think I found, you were talking about photos, posting different things, some of it not gaining, gaining traction and this and that. And so over the last couple of days, I've been doing some listening with previous podcasts I've done before. And there are specific messages and crumbs in those little audios that really hit and relate to different people. So I'm gonna give you an example, just yesterday, I did one with Davina, Luke, of course, you know, Davina, Davina Faust. And in this probably 35 to 40 second little, you know, little speech that she had, she shared it and then it had like 300 views and people were asking, yeah, hey, where do so I get yeah. the podcast at this and that? And I'm like, what the fuck was I doing before? Excuse my French. What was I doing before? Was I just grabbing these random messages that didn't have much essence? So of course you manage these social media accounts you have to pump out some of this digital content. How do you do it? How do I do it? Well, thankfully, I asked um, about three people to get me different types of equipment for Christmas. So I was fortunate enough in that. Um, so for every birthday, every holiday for about two years, I was just asking for equipment, much like this podcast, or the microphone and everything, my ring light, entire set, everything. Um, I would go on Amazon, find the cheapest that just worked and go with that. I mean, I didn't necessarily need the best, but I definitely needed an upgrade. And, you know, I found all my equipment for under $150 on Amazon. So it's just a matter of digging and finding the right stuff. You just have to be patient and not just get a shiny object because it's working for some successful YouTuber or some successful podcaster. Uh, there's definitely stuff out there that you can use that is inexpensive. And so diving into entrepreneurship then, what's been like some of the biggest challenges that you faced that before, obviously, you know, you know, things happening, you're like, damn, didn't know that like, that would happen running my own business. But what were some of like the biggest um, challenges that you faced and lessons that yeah. you've learned? 
I think the first is that I really stunk up managing a team. Like I mm. stunk at it, like not even a little bit, like a lot of it um, because I'm a very logistical person. And for me, I grew up in, you know, I grew up in the private schools. I grew up dancing and that's very harsh environments to be on where they just tell you how it is. And that's kind of how I go about things as well. But I noticed, um, especially working with like females, which is like totally understandable, is that they don't work that way. And I'm a very like logistical person, but I wasn't necessarily caring about their emotions. And that really backfired on me many, many times. I think it's one of their greatest strengths, but I didn't know how to navigate that because I was so used to people that were like me and working with people that weren't like me was a struggle. So how have you had to adapt to that? I think that it's definitely a learning curve. I'm not perfect at it now. I wasn't perfect nearly Mm. a year ago. Um, But it's just different situations teach you different lessons. Yeah. um, (laughs) You know, you said it at the very end. You said... Matt, wait, wait, managing people that aren't like you or, you know, just having people on your team who aren't like you? Like, okay, so is it better if we work with different personalities per se? I mean, do you find that? For sure. Uh, I, it each has its own benefits and um, fallbacks. So basically, I think when you work with people that aren't like you, that is your greatest strength to move things forward because you because they're not like you, they're better at the things that you're not good at, or they want to want to do the things that you don't necessarily want to do. So I think for like any project or seeing like a future vision, that's great. But it's I'm talking about mainly like the every day to day, it can be a struggle here and there. But overall, mm-hmm. I do think it's beneficial to work with people that aren't like you in the sense that, you know, their overall strengths are different, but also they still have the same overall vision and still have that overall drive. Building on that, but from, um, I suppose, a perspective of like your social circle and people, you know, that, that, you know, you like socialize with and that. So for myself and Arsenia, you know, we've had to completely order our circles because um, they're like completely not into entrepreneurship and in all those different things. Actually, when I started my first business, uh, my friends at the time like laughed in my face, you know, and then just wanted me to, I don't know, to I suppose be like them. So, you know, we've had to completely audit our circles um, and surround ourselves with people who, um, maybe not that we agree with everything with, but we have, like you say, like the same vision or a similar vision. So I'm just curious in in your life um, if you've been if you've had to just audit your circle and a little bit. I want to touch on if it's okay, like your family. Were they very you know like going down the traditional path of doing things, you know, like job, or are they supportive of your entrepreneurship uh, ventures? I grew up in a very conservative household, like very, very conservative households. Um, However, they've come to understand what I'm trying to do. So they taught me, you know, go to school, go to college. I'm a first generation graduate. So it was kind of just expected of me. My older sister went to college and now she's on her way to getting her doctorate. So basically it was just kind of expected of me to go and get the degree. Once I got the degree, um, I think they realized I was miserable Mm. studying what I was studying and I was miserable going to class um, to learn something I truly didn't care about. 
and they don't necessarily know this, but I was actually building websites during half my classes um, <laughs> and just showing up to class so I could get that attendance de degree. So they've come to terms now, but you know, they still want something that's going to be solid in the future because they care, but they've become a lot more accepting of it. Sometimes mm -hmm. they do make comments here and there, but I know it's just out of the goodness of their hearts. Um, it's been a journey, but they've definitely become more accepting. As for my friends, I've definitely had to audit my circle many, many, many times. Um, I think particularly where I'm from, you know, everyone has stardust in their eyes and they all want to get into entrepreneurship and they see all the fancy cars or entrepreneurs selling entrepreneurship online and they get super excited. They get all hyped about it. And it's mainly guys, I want to say that, um, mainly my guy friends that I'm sorry, I'm sorry. This is just my area. So I'm sure it's different, many different places. The girls, the same thing with modeling. They all want to get into modeling. They all have stardust in their eyes and, um, they all want to speak a good game. But when it comes down to staying in on the weekends, they're the first people to party on the weekends. So they want all the flash, but they don't want to stay in on the weekends to edit something. They don't want to stay in to learn something. Um, they spend all their free time spending their money. So it's definitely been a learning curve of who walks the talk, essentially. Yeah, definitely. And I kind of want to hand over to Arsenio now because I feel like he's going to go on a rant. <laughs> <laughs> You are so good. You know, <laughs> Muhammad Gandhi, right? What any anything that he thought he spoke, whatever he spoke, he ended up doing. He was congruent. Everything was just congruent with him. But us, we kind of say we we think one thing, we say something completely different, and we do something totally out of this world. And so you see, all these pe people aren't willing to invest in themselves. They're willing to invest in other people's lives. The people who watch reality TV. Right. So, oh, my God, the people who are so interested in the lives of all these other ridiculous ass stars who aren't even philosophers in the world. And they're just like, oh, my God, did you see what she bought? Her lipstick is so amazing. And guess what? She doesn't even know you. Whoa. Jenner. <laughs> you know, I just saw that you're, you're pretty good. Bria. You're pretty good. No, because I saw that she's like a billionaire. OK, fine. Wonderful. But what are you doing to push this humanity forward? What are you doing to help all the things and the trials and the tribulations that this planet is suffering from? You see what I mean? It's just saying that we're focused. Uh, our focus is a little bit in the wrong areas when we should be putting our focus into things that will better this humanity. Not just saying, oh, you know what? I'm not going to live anymore. I'm going to stay in. I'm going to learn about this. I'm going to learn about that. I'm going to learn how to be a better human being, a better member of the community, whatever you want to call it. But instead, they go out, they shake their buns. If you want to shake your ass, that's fine. But then they're so interested in other people's lives that they don't even know who they are. So anyways, rant over. Brie, when did your curiosity come? You started building websites in class. Like, when did your curiosity for, for that type of stuff start settling in? Like, were you like 17 or 18? You were like, I yeah. was 19, turning 20 at the time. Um, and I actually was dating a fraternity president, so he was a brilliant kid. He, so I live in Massachusetts, so I live right next to Harvard and MIT, and he got into both MIT and Harvard and was a brilliant kid building websites and doing all this crazy, crazy coding, building apps, 
all that stuff. So when I started getting into social media, I felt embarrassed and I felt like I had to hide it because he knew so much more than I did. And that was like my first relationship coming out of an abusive relationship. So I was very insecure to begin with. So I hid all my work for probably a year and just learned it all in private and spent like all that time Googling. So you were building websites. I'm just kind of interested in the transition, you know, from doing that to doing the things that you're doing today. Um, and kind of where did the, yeah, you know, like, like, like that transition from one, kind of like, was it like more of a side hustle to then actually building um, a, a business and really diving into entrepreneurship? So I think it's actually a little bit flopped. So I started getting into like social media accounts and then, you know, I just finished up college. So I was building those websites a few months ago. So mm-hmm. probably like in March. So Basically, I transitioned into realizing that you have to get known to do something. It doesn't necessarily matter how well you do it when you're first starting. It really matters of who knows you, and then you can really focus on the quality. But you can't just expect to have a great quality if no one knows what you're doing. And at the time that I got started in social media, like I kept seeing like all this entrepreneurship videos selling marketing or whatever. I'm sure you've seen them too. And I didn't necessarily like that. That really propelled, like just disgusted me in a way that just, I turned my stomach. I didn't like that side of marketing. But when I started doing it for myself, I realized how much I actually loved marketing and that I was very good at it. And then I started making it a business so let's make it a little fun right now what are three of some of the most powerful marketing tips you could give right now to everyone powerful um in what sense like what attention getting but not 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 from a not an imposter syndrome we just talked about that luke with another guy but speaking the truth authenticity vulnerability stuff like that being able to create content that pillars around that Yeah, for sure. So right now, I think, especially with social media, we as a society, we're over perfection. We're over not necessarily perfection with the images, because I think people view that as an art on social media. So they're more inclined to like, like it and whatnot. But definitely with the captions, we're over the perfect captions and that everything's perfect all the time. So I think as a whole and as society, we're gearing towards people opening up about their insecurities because anytime there's a post that's opening up, the engagement rate is through the roof and they gain a lot of traction. So definitely um, show your insecurities. And I think when you address your insecurities, you're less insecure about them. And I think that that just makes you feel okay. Like, hey, this is my insecurity. I'm not hiding it from anyone. And I think that just gives you more confidence to post more um so that would be the first one the second one would probably be make all your content at once so just I know this is kind of batching but you know when I take my Instagram pictures probably don't know this but I probably take 200 shots at once in like eight different outfits within a two-hour time span and I post that over the course of six months at different times so it looks like I was doing different things when that's not the reality. I mean, so definitely be true, but when you're creating images, um, create it as an art. So kind of like a time hack. So that way you always have content. You can always 
write your captions in real time. So for me, my captions are in real time. That's what I'm feeling in that moment. I'm just taking an image that I already made. So I never run out of content and it's always new and it's always fresh to the audience. So that's two off the top of my head. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. And how about video? You know, what I did, um, when I was posting those one minute snippets, what I would do, just like what you did, I'd like grab like seven shirts or whatever. Boom, one video. Okay, one minute, done. Boom, second, third, fourth, fifth. That's one week, you know? And not even technically a week because now I do a lot of repurposing, like the content that I've had, you know, from last year or whenever, and I'm doing new podcasts now. So I repurpose a lot of this and make them into vlogs or just little short video snippets and whatnot. But, um, you know, I'm not, I don't think you make video content. I think I was looking at your Instagram. I see more, of course, of just photos rather than uh, video So it's actually funny you say that because I have um, my YouTube channel that's launching in, I was going to launch it before the TED Talk next week, but then with the TED Talk, it kind of got all that was kind of my important thing. So that got kind of put off, but I'm doing um, 40 video tutorials on YouTube all about social media that's coming up. So I've been working on this since February. So are you going to space that out? So I'm going to do about four a week um, because I have a book launch after that. So I'm trying to batch it all together and then I can work on the book. And I had to talk, I had to mention your TED talk coming up. So yeah. I'm just kind of curious how that happened and um a, a little bit kind of like your thoughts going into it you know like like your feelings going into it and and yeah just talk about that for a minute yeah and real quick yes you know, i'm sorry to interrupt and to put on top of that you know we had one sociologist and a, uh, a coach and everything she's been denied a number of times another guy by the name of jonathan darlin has been denied a number of times and you scored yours so what's the theme and i'll let you go now so um, that wasn't the first time I applied. So a lot of people don't know this, but on average, it takes 72 applications to land a TED Talk, 72. And a lot of people don't know that. And yeah, so this was actually my second time applying and I got it on my second shot. So they had a student competition in my area when I was in college and they said that they wanted one college student from Keene State. So I applied and I became a finalist, but I basically, I kind of had a panic attack while I was doing it. And then the PowerPoint stopped working and it was like this huge disaster mess. Um, so I didn't land it when I actually tried to do it, but I did make it to the finals. I didn't apply in 2018. And then this past year, I kept my eye on it for a long, long time. And I knew exactly when the application was going to be. I looked at other TED Talks in the area. If you go to the TED Talk site, you can see the dates that they are. So I wrote them all down. So this is, I'm going to open this up. This is actually how I landed the TED Talk. So I kept my eye on the date, but the number one thing you should keep in mind is try to stay local. So people like it when you are local. They don't want a stranger. They want someone who's connected to the area in some way, shape, or form. A lot of colleges do it. Um, if you grew up in that area, if you do charity work in that area, anything like that, you should have some connection to the area because otherwise they don't necessarily want a stranger unless you're very, very successful in your field. Number two, um, this is kind of embarrassing, but I literally found the committee on their website. I looked up every single person on that website. I saw what TED Talks they had liked 
in the past in their own free time, what they had reposted on their Facebook walls. I looked up, you know, I even looked up like if they were married, had kids, what they were into. Because when you do a TED talk, they have an overall theme and they already have something that they want. So you are fitting that theme. They are not fitting you. You have to be beneficial to them um, because it's their event. It's a nonprofit. It's their event. There's seven other speakers. There's usually seven or eight. And you're just one of many. So you have to contribute to the theme. You have to be local and you have to be interesting to them. So what they would want to see. (laughs) I love it. You know, I was just talking about something like that in terms of the English language learning right now in terms of writing cover letters and relating it to them as much as possible. You have to be able to, yeah, so like you narrowing it down to specific areas. Okay, this, okay, this, 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 super smart. And so this is probably why it didn't take you another 70 tries because you kind of knew this and you knew that. And this is why people, this is how people become great. This is how the greatest footballers become the greatest footballers. American yeah, you know what I mean? It they know just- really comes down to the research, not the application. I think a lot of people that get rejected, they're spending a lot of time on random applications they find online, but they're not targeting like a few specific ones that they can have like a mutual beneficial relationship from. So another thing that I did is I sent an audio excerpt. I recorded it on my microphone with my podcasting equipment. It was four minutes. I wrote out a TED Talk and I sent it to them. So I think that was also super beneficial. But again, it was fitting their theme. So if you have a one-size-fits-all for every single TED Talk, it's not going to work. It has to be very specific. I'm not going to lie. I probably spent a good 25 hours preparing my application, researching everything. But it was over the course of a few months. So if you want to land an application, you really have to put in the work in the forefront. Mm. I mean, writing the TED Talk was the easy part. Just getting the application, that was the hard part. And so, yeah, your thoughts and kind of feelings going into that because it is next week, isn't it? I'm not going to lie. I'm pretty, pretty terrified. Um, So people don't know this about TED Talks. So you're not, there's no teleprompter. You don't have bullet points because they send it to the committee to approve in the TEDx organization. So you have to memorize it word for word and you cannot come off script. And you do have a timer in front of you. It is live. There's only one take. There's... I have four cameras. It might be different other places um, that have larger budgets, but you have to memorize it word for word, and that's pretty intimidating. And then you're also doing it in front of a live audience for the first time. So it's a lot of lot of pressure. Um, the day of, I'm going to go into rehearsal at 9 a.m., and the show starts at 6.30 p.m., So it's going to be an all-day rehearsal, and that's going to be the first time we're even practicing on the stage. So it happens very quickly. Um, You have a content coach, and you also have a speaking coach. So you have a coach that goes through your entire script with you. They time it. They time your word count. If you're too fast, you try to set a goal for the amount of words per minute. And then you have a speaking coach who goes into the nerves, making sure you're all set, body language, and things like that. I mean, Arsenio, um, I know you've recently done uh, workshops and like a, a speaking event as well. Um, so, so maybe you can relate to relate a bit. Yeah, you know, uh, honestly, who man, I'm glad I never did a TEDx because that right there, I just don't memorize verbatim. I'm sorry. I mean, going off script is what a Your lot thing. of people should. That's that's my thing. <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. And I think that's authenticity. 
So again, I do storytelling. So when I did my digital content festival and I was standing in front of a lot of app developers and a lot of big time people for like e-learning associations around the world, um, I implemented storytelling into mine as well as giving them actionable steps and, you know, telling them this and that. So there's no way I'm going to memorize a 45 minute to like a 75 minute speech. Uh, again, even if it's 18 minutes, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm not going to memorize. I don't, I don't believe in memorization. I just don't, you know what I mean? So big hats off to you, uh, big hats off to you, uh, Brie, because man, like a, a speech coach and this and that, I'd be like, man, no, thank you. But anyways, man, I can't believe it. That's beyond nerve wracking. Can you imagine like, okay, so we're going to have this guy come in here. Okay. No, you're speaking too fast. I'm like, man, fuck you. You know what? I, I'm sorry. I just, Ooh, I can't do that. You're not going to tell me how to speak. How many words per minute? I'm going to do whatever I want. So, Ooh, Brie, you have got all the courage in the world to do this. I'm petrified. I'm not going to lie. I'm absolutely petrified because it's going to be on the internet for all eternity. And they actually don't, a lot of people don't know this. They don't post TED Talks until three months after the event. So this, I have it on October 3rd. It is. So I guess it's a week and a half away, but um, it's not going to go up until probably January 3rd. And um, also in your application, when you do the title of the talk, make it searchable on YouTube because that's how they succeed because YouTube's the largest search engine. And if you look at the most successful watched TED Talks, they're the most searchable. So keep that in mind during your application if you want that viewership on YouTube. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And so um, one thing I did want to touch on is young people um, because you do, obviously your organization uh, focuses on that and, and that. So I was just kind of curious on your perspective on, on some of the challenges that young people face um, and how, yeah, you know, and some of the solutions that, you know, um, that, that can help young people overcome them. And then, yeah, a, a bit about your, the work that you're doing with your, um, organization yeah so basically um starting out i have to do kind of um kind of more well-off communities just because of how the school systems work and the amount of money allocated to them in the organizations that are already in some of these schools that are struggling so um i was going in with some of the more middle-class kids, not necessarily struggling kids or wealthy kids, just middle-class kids. And uh, there's this quote that I read the other day that is so true. It's like, if you let, if you keep an animal in captivity in a zoo its entire life and let it outside, it's going to die. And I think that's what I'm seeing right now a lot of. It's just a lot of coddling and to the point where it's going to be their own demise when they're older because they're not necessarily facing all their issues and I think that's the biggest issue with today's generation not necessarily I'm talking like the middle class kids I'm definitely not talking about anyone who's low income just because I'm not working with them yet I would love to work with them it's just the logistics of it right now isn't there yet so mm -hmm. I would love to within the next year or two to be able to work with them because that was always my goal because um, the reason I started my organization is because 99% of people stay in abusive relationships because of financial dependence. So when you're in that type of uh, abusive relationship, physical, uh, verbal, whatever, 
a lot of it's also financial and people will say, why don't you just leave? And it really comes down to finances. So I really wanted to target the lower income kids. Yeah. I'm just so grateful. You know, you going through the things that you had to go through and me seeing the things I had to see. This is why I created the Arsenio Buck Foundation, just because I feel like obviously in parts of America, there are low income uh, societies, whereas they just live in victimhood. And, you know, they're just completely against each other rather than like trying to empower one another. Then, of course, you know, being uh, here in Bangkok, Thailand and being around countries where, you know, poverty runs rampant um, and seeing some of those children again. I don't it's not my it's not my authority to feel pity for them because they hate that. Uh, But it's the fact that my heart is with them. And I need, I, it's not like I need to, but I need to, so I, I'm going to support them and try to give them an idea and hopefully they could water that idea and make it blossom into something. Whereas they could be unbelievably valuable members of society too. Do you know what I mean? So the things that we go through, the things that we see, it ends up becoming our life assignment. And that's something that, you know, you're going to be doing for the rest of your life and there's nothing more fulfilling than that so yeah yeah Yeah. I totally agree with that um I definitely think that unfortunate situations are some of the best things that could ever happen to us and I'm actually talking about it in the TED talk a little excerpt of that I'm not allowed to talk about it in detail but that's kind of how it is um the topic of it is actually um it was originally called how to get revenge but then the committee changed it and that was kind of out of my control so it was like revenge to inner peace um but it was basically my anger at that person that I was in an abusive relationship with and how I was so focused on trying to be successful kind of to get back at him as a way to like be vengeful and eventually working so hard that I even forgot he existed so it's kind of about that. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see uh, see your TED talk. If it, so, you say January, so I'll look out for it um, in in Jan. But um, do you have any final thoughts or words of inspiration for our listeners that they can take away? Maybe that summarizes the episode, or just anything on your mind that you want to share that can help people. Yeah. So everything I started, I reverse engineered. So I mentioned with the TED talk, I researched. So I think the majority of the bulk work, if you want to start this is to just stay in your room and Google for six months, whatever you want to learn. And I guarantee you after the six months, if you really put your head down and apply everything you learn, you will achieve whatever that goal is, whether it's starting a podcast, YouTube channel, doing a TED talk, starting an organization, starting a business. As long as you do the bulk work in the front and don't just do it as you're going. I th- you do learn a lot as you go, but to do the research ahead of time is a major, major thing. Yeah. I think, you know, looking back on my entrepreneurial journey in the beginning, I didn't do as much research as maybe I should have. Um, that obviously has an impact um, like in the journey when you're actually doing things and that, you know, def- definitely has an impact. So, um, so yeah, completely echo that. So where can people find you online if they want to learn more about what you do, check out your organization, podcast, uh, where's the best place? So I usually run things out on my Instagram, which is just Bria, which is J-U-S-T-B-R-I-A-E. My YouTube channel is my name. So it's B-R-I-A-E. Uh, my podcast is called Slay in Your Lane, where you guys will be on later for the show because um, we're recording that right after this. 
and that's about it. Awesome. Oh, the organization. Wow. I'm yes. silly. Um, it's <laughs> called Project Inspire Her. So inspire is spelt with H-E-R at the end of it. So it's Project Inspire Her. Awesome. Well, guys, I will put all those links in the description. So definitely go over and check out Bria's stuff. But yeah, it's been amazing having you on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. No worries. Guys, if you know anyone who needs to hear Bria's message today, then you know what to do. Share this episode of Motivational Mentors with them. We will be back next week for another episode of the show. So we will see you then. Did you find this episode helpful? If you did, please leave a review. And don't forget to subscribe. New episodes of the Motivational Mentors podcast are available every Friday.